You are listening to the Landmark Sermon Series, a sermon podcast nearly 40 years in the making. You'll hear the voices of our church's founding pastors, Dr. James Reeves and Alan McBrayer, as well as others who helped pave the way for City on a Hill beginning all the way back in the early 1980s. Our hope is that these sermons bless you and challenge you in the same way they have blessed and challenged so many others in the past. For more information about our church, visit www.cityonahilldfw.com. Praise the Lord. I have just seen Jesus. I wish they'd had that ready for Easter Sunday. Boy, howdy. All right, take your Bibles. Turn to James, the first chapter. You feel better now? (laughs) These two have been working on that song for a couple of weeks now, and we're going to sing this morning. And there's just no way that early to time of getting out of bed that the vocal cords can, can possibly take that kind of abuse. And so uh, they opted to go ahead and sing that tonight after they've had an opportunity to talk all day long. James, the first chapter. We're going to read in just a few moments verses 21 through 25. As a matter of fact, why don't we just do that right now? Let's just read those verses of Scripture. Those of you that are visiting with us, we're studying through the book of James on Sunday night, and we left off last week with verse 20. We just dealt with verse 19 and 20 in our verse-by-verse exposition of the book of James, and so tonight we pick up with verse 21, and we'll just read through verse 25, and we'll leave those last two verses of the chapter for next week. Got to have something for next week, isn't that right? All right, verse 21. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. But prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers, who deceive themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man shall be blessed in what he does. I want to preach to you tonight on the the subject of welcoming the Word of God, receiving or welcoming God's Word. You know, the Bible is full of truths. The Bible is full of facts. But it's not just enough to know these truths. It's not just enough to know these facts. But we as God's people are called upon to receive the Word of God and to welcome the Word of God into our lives. It's one thing to know all of the truths and the facts of the Scripture. It's another thing to apply them to daily life. It's one thing to know them, but it's another thing to welcome or to receive the Word of God into your life. And so James speaks here in these verses of Scripture about receiving or welcoming the Word of God. Now I want to say to you at the outset something that we've said before, but maybe it's good to repeat it here, that James is writing specifically to Christians. This book, the letter of James, is written to Christian people. Now, there's probably a good chance, more than a good chance, it's probably for certain that these were Jewish Christians. They were people who had been born Jews, had been raised under the Torah, and now that the Messiah, the Christ, had come and under the preaching of the apostles, they had received Jesus as Lord and Savior. They had accepted Christ as their Jewish Messiah and had become Christians. But the point is that these folks are Christians. How do we know that for sure? Because, you see, a lot of Bible expositors have argued about that through the centuries. If these really were Christians he was writing to, or if they were just Jews. 
Well, one way that we know for sure that these people that James is writing to were Christians is because the context of the letter demands it. The, the content, if you will, of, the, of the, the, the letter that he writes demands that these be Christian people. You remember the letter opened up by James encouraging them to count it all joy or to rejoice when they encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of their faith would produce endurance. And then he goes on and he says, and so let endurance have its perfect result that you might be perfect and complete in everything. Now that would be foolishness to the non-Christian. Those words would be foolish to someone who did not know the Lord Jesus because the non-Christian has no sense of rejoicing in tribulation. He's not the victor over, over tribulation. He becomes the victim of tribulation. And so there's no reason for him to rejoice in the midst of tribulation. Not only that, we read in verse 18 a couple of weeks ago where Paul says, or James says, I've got to change gears from Sunday morning to Sunday night, where James says that by an exercise of his perfect will, he brought us forth through the word of truth. You remember that when we studied that verse of Scripture, I said to you that that phrase brought forth in the original language is a phrase that is used to refer to physical birth. It is a word that is used to refer to the birth process. And James says that by him, the exercise of his will, by the word of truth, he brought us forth. Now, obviously, he's not speaking there of the physical birth, but he is speaking, speaking metaphorically of the spiritual birth. That spiritual birth that Jesus spoke to Nicodemus about, and when he said, unless you're born again of the Spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. You see, being born again, though, is a totally and completely Christian experience. And if these were not Christians that James was writing to, then he would not have been able to say that by the word of truth, God the Father, as an exercise of his will, has brought us forth because they would not yet have been born again. And so it's important that you understand that the words that, Paul, that James says to these people, he is saying to Christian people. And so when we come to verse 21, where we are tonight, and James begins talking about receiving the word, receiving the word of truth and humility, understand that James is not speaking about receiving the word in a first-time kind of salvation experience. He's talking to Christian people. He's talking to people who have already done that. They have already received the word. As a matter of fact, James says in verse 21, receive the implanted word. And that word implanted is in the past tense. It refers to something that has already taken place. In other words, this word that he is talking about has already been implanted in the lives of these people. And now he is saying, receive this word that has been implanted in your life. Now, there are two words in the original language for receive. And in the context, it becomes important to, to describe them. There's a, a small shade of difference in their meaning. The first word for receive is a word that simply means to take something. It simply means to, to receive something in a physical sense, to, to grasp it uh, in, in your grimy little paws, you know, to just get it into your possession, to receive something in that way. The second word for receive in the original language that is translated in our scripture is the one that James uses in this verse of scripture. And it also has that idea of receiving something physically, of taking hold of something, but it has a shade of meaning that is different from the other word. It means to receive something as to welcome it. It means to receive something with joy. 
And so when James says, receive the word that has been implanted, he is saying, welcome the word of God that has been implanted in your life. You have received it initially. Now welcome it in a positive way into your life. You see, he's talking about the Christian's attitude toward the word of God, whether it is the spoken word of God, as many of them would have understand it, whether it was the, the Old Testament scriptures, as which was all that they had at that particular time, or whether it is ultimately, as we have it today, the completed canon of scripture, all of the Old Testament, as well as the New Testament, we are to have an attitude toward the word of God of welcoming or receiving the word of God. Peter kind of captured that that attitude that God's people are to have toward toward the Word of God in First Peter when he said in chapter one verses two and three, like newborn babes, like newborn babes, long for the pure milk of the Word. In the King James, I think it translates it long for the sincere milk of the pure Word, and that word sincere means unmixed. It means having no alloy. It means pure. Long for the pure milk. Of the word. That's to be our attitude toward the word of God, to receive it, to welcome it, to long for the pure milk of the word of God. Most of you here have had babies. Well, <laughs> let's say of the female gender, but you know what I'm talking about, okay? You're, you're married, okay? And if you haven't had one in your own family, you've known someone, you've been close to someone that has, and you remember those late, late night feedings when when that little bundle of joy at 3 o'clock in the morning <laughs> wasn't so much of a bundle of joy at, the, at the, the exact instant when he or she woke up in the middle of the night screaming. What do they want when they wake up in the middle of the night like that? Well, they want milk, right? They desire that milk. They're longing for that milk. And so you got up in the middle of the night and you gave that little baby the bottle or whatever it was that you gave him. But the point is that you gave him his milk. And that little baby... That little baby didn't just receive that, did he? <laughs> what are you laughing for? <laughs> it's a fact of life. What are you laughing for? That little baby, though, that little bundle of joy, when you gave him that bottle, he doesn't just receive it, does he? He receives it with joy, doesn't he? <laughs> if you've ever seen one of those little beggars take after a bottle. He receives it with joy. He desires it. He longs for it. And that's what James is saying. That is to be the attitude of the child of God for the word of God. We are to receive it. We are to welcome it. We are to desire it. We are to long for it. And so James says, receive or welcome the implanted word. Well, how do you do that? What must take place in order for you to welcome or to receive the word of God? I want to give you three things tonight. This morning it was two point and we went for about 40 minutes. Tonight it's three point and we won't go that long. But I want to give you three things from these verses of Scripture about what must take place in your life to really and truly receive or welcome the Word of God into your life. Now, folks, we're not talking about just hearing the Word of God. We're not talking about just reading the Word of God. We're talking about that attitude that Peter spoke of when he said, desire, long for the pure milk of the Word. What must happen for you to really and truly welcome the Word of God? in your life. First of all, I want to say that you must have a purity of affections. In order to really welcome the Word of God, you must have a purity of affections. When you invite somebody into your home, you clean the house, don't you? Or most of you do. You clean the house to get it ready 
for them in order that they might feel welcome. You wouldn't feel real welcome if someone invited you and when you got there, the house was just a total wreck, was a complete and total mess. You would feel like they really weren't all that excited about you coming. <laughs> they didn't even take the time to prepare the house for your coming. And so most of the time, when you invite someone over, when you're about to receive a guest, you kind of clean things up and you kind of get it ready for that guest to come. Now, if you're going to welcome the Word of God, if you're going to receive the Word of God into your life, then the house of your life must, to some extent, be made ready to receive that Word. That means that there must be a purity of your affections, a purity of your desires. You see, if your affections are set on the wrong things, there's not going to be any room for the Word of God in your life. Count on it. Count on it. If your heart and your affections are set on things that are not of God, there is not going to be any room, there's not going to be any desire in your heart for the Word of God. You see, the Word of God and the world cannot dwell together. They are polar opposites. They cannot dwell together in the same place. And so if your affections are upon the word, world, then you're not going to really and truly be able to desire and to seek after and long for the Word of God. And so, verse 21, James says, Therefore, therefore, putting aside all filthiness. There's another one of those ugly words. We talked about that a little bit this morning, didn't we? He says, put aside filthiness. That word refers to any kind of moral defilement, whether it be in thought, whether it be in actions, whether it be in words, whatever it happens to be. James says, in order to receive the word, first of all, put away all filthiness. Now, I studied the background of that word, and, and it, was, it was interesting what I discovered. That word filthiness in the original language was used sometimes in a medical sense. Now, I don't, mean to, I don't mean to be gross here, but, but these are the facts, okay? This word was used in a medical sense to refer to the wax that builds up in your ears. Now, that's the truth. What happens if you don't clean it out? It stops your ears up. Sound like something Rosanna, Rosanna, Dana would say, doesn't it? <laughs> what would happen if you, did, if you never cleaned the filthiness out of your ears? It begins to build up and build up and build up, and ultimately, it would stop up your hearing. And so James says, get rid of all filthiness that would have a tendency to stop up your hearing, if you will. Not only does it stop up your physical ears, but filthiness in your life stops up the spiritual ears. Anything that, whether it's word, deed, thought, action, whatever it is that is not in tune and in line with the perfect plan and will of God has a tendency to muddle up the heart and the spiritual ears of the believer where he cannot receive or welcome the word of God. It's kind of like Jesus in, when he told the, the parable of the soils. He said the word was sown on, on the seed of the word was sown on various uh, kinds of soil. And one of those was, uh, was a soil that had a lot of thorns. And he says and the, so the word was sown there, but before long the thorns began to rise up and they choked the word out. You see, that's what happens in the life of the believer that will not let go, will not let go of the world. It chokes out the Word of God in his life, and he's not able to enjoy, he's not able to revel in, he's not able to desire or welcome the Word of God in his life. But notice what else he says in verse 21. Not only put away filthiness, but he says, put away all that remains of wickedness. That's an interesting phrase that James uses. All that remains of wickedness. What is he talking about? Notice, he says, all that remains. What's he talking about from the old life? He's saying, put everything away 
that has to do with the old life. He's talking about those kind of carried over sins from the old life before Christ. He's talking about those hangover kinds of sins that keep us bound, that that never let us really get free in Jesus, that dwarf the Word of God in our lives and keep us from really and truly receiving and welcoming God's Word in our life. Lazarus is a perfect example of what James is saying here about putting aside all that remains of wickedness. You remember Jesus came to the tomb of Lazarus and, and the scripture says that Lazarus has already been dead some three days and, uh, and Jesus stands before the tomb and Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. And under the, the, the authority of Jesus, the uh, life comes into Lazarus and Lazarus raises up and he walks out of the tomb. But the scripture says that when Lazarus came out of the tomb, he was still bound in the grave clothes. He looked like a mummy. See, that's the way they buried folks in that day and time. They wound them around with claws. And so Lazarus tiptoes out of the tomb, if you will. His legs are probably bound very tightly. His arms are bound to his body. And he walks out of the tomb. You see, Lazarus had life, but he didn't have liberty. The grave clothes still had Lazarus bound. And so Jesus had to give one more command. Do you remember what it was? Let him go. Loose him. He had life. But he didn't have liberty. The grave clothes, the, the clothes of death still bound Lazarus up. That's what James is talking about. He says, put aside all that remains of wickedness. You see, some of us have life. We have new life in Jesus Christ. We've been born again, but we're still wrapped around. We're still encompassed with the clothes of death. We're still encompassed with the old grave clothes of the old life. And so James says to welcome the word, to receive the word, put aside all that remains of wickedness. Those of you that are not with us on Wednesday nights, and some of you can't be because you're teachers and you're in teachers meetings and various other things, and others of you could be, but you just ain't. (laughs) But those of you that are not with us on Wednesday nights are missing a blessing. Because what we're doing on Wednesday nights, we're doing a chapter by chapter there. I think there's a baby that's crying in the nursery. Bless that little heart. Okay. On Wednesday nights, we're not doing a verse-by-verse study of the Scriptures the way that we do on Sunday mornings and Sunday nights, but we're doing kind of a chapter-by-chapter survey of the entire Bible. I began with Genesis chapter 1 about two months ago, and we're in about chapter 20 now, and we're going to do that for the next 30 or 40 years on Wednesday nights until we get to the end of Revelation. And it's probably going to take us about that long, but this past week, we were studying about Abraham, the life of Abraham. We have been for several weeks now. And something very interesting in Abraham's life that I had never noticed kind of just kind of hopped out at me this last week, reached out of the the scripture and kind of grabbed me. There was one sin in Abraham's life that continued to repeat itself. Abraham is walking with the Lord. He's a man of faith. The scripture says that, as a matter of fact, in Hebrews 11th chapter, that he is one of the best examples of faith in all of the scriptures. He's a great man of faith, but there's one sin that always rises up and haunts Abraham. It's that every time he gets in a tight spot, he lies about his wife. Some of you can relate with that. You know, in that day and time, if a king or a pharaoh or somebody wanted another man's little wife, they what he had to do was just kill the man, and then he could take the wife. When Abraham knew that, he lived in that society, and he knew, and you know, he wanted to live. And so he said, "Listen, this is the kindness that you'll show to me. Every time we go somewhere, you just say my, you're my sister, <laughs> and they'll take you, and they'll let me live." And every time Abraham got into a tight spot, he did it with Pharaoh in Egypt. 
after they left the land of Canaan. He lied to the Pharaoh. God brought plagues and Pharaoh said, Abraham, get out of my land. Take your wife, take the cows, the chickens, the whole nine yards. Take everything you want. Just get out of my face. Later on, he did it with another king. And God communicated to that king that this was not Abraham's uh, uh, sister, that this was Abraham's wife. And so he kicked Sarah out and gave her back to Abraham and said, get out of my land, get out of my face. But why did Abraham continue to fall to that lie, to that sin? In chapter 20 of Genesis, it gives us a little bit of insight. Don't turn to it right now, but just write it down and, and check the reference a little later. Abraham had made an agreement with Sarah before they ever left Ur of the Chaldees. Remember, that was where God called him. That was before faith. That was before he walked with the Lord. And Abraham had made an agreement with Sarah, his wife, before they ever walked out of Ur of the Chaldees in faith with God. He said this. He said, Sarah, everywhere we go, say that you are my sister. Abraham never let go of that. That was a pact that was made before faith, before he began to walk with faith. That was something that belonged to the old life, the life before faith. That was part of the grave clothes, if you will, that Abraham continued to wear. He never put the grave clothes off. And so every time that Abraham got into a tight spot, he would go back to that old sin. You see, that's where many Christians are. We, uh, we have life, but we don't have liberty we don't have joy in the Word of God because we have not yet done what James says. Put away all that remains of wickedness, all of the old agreements, all of the old habits, all of the old lifestyle that belongs to the old way of life, to darkness, as we talked about this morning. James says, put it aside. And many of us don't have joy in the Word of God because we're still wearing some of the grave clothes of the old life, those carryovers. Jesus said, loose him. And they let Lazarus go. He had life and he had liberty. Okay, second of all, very quickly. Not only must, must there be the purity of affections, but there must also be a preparation of your attitude. If you are to welcome the word, as James says, there needs to be a preparation of your attitude. Notice in verse 21, it says, Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility, ha, oh, that word, in humility, receive the word implanted which is able to save your souls james says first of all lay aside the old life all that remains and then receive the word with humility it refers to your attitude that word humility you see many folks can't welcome the scriptures they can't go to the scripture with joy they can't receive the word of god with joy because they don't have the right attitude toward the word of God. James says, receive the word with humility. What is humility? It's not weakness. You know, meekness is not weakness. Humility has nothing to do with weakness. Humility simply means a compliant spirit. Did you hear that? Humility means a moldable spirit, a teachable spirit, a spirit that is willing to learn. Scripture says that God resists the proud, but what? He gives grace to the humble. And you can't come to the Word of God with a proud, stiff-necked spirit and ever really and truly welcome or receive the Word of God. God only teaches a humble spirit. He only teaches a compliant, a willing, a learning, a teachable spirit. Many of us, 
don't get joy in the scriptures and can't really and truly welcome the scripture because of this. Now, this is going to be the most important thing probably I say all night. Because we're constantly parading the word of God before the jury of our minds. Now, did you hear that? You'll never be able to receive or welcome the word as long as you are parading the word of God before the jury of your mind. Let me explain what I mean by that. Come to the scriptures and you say, that sounds okay. I like that. I'll accept that. I'll accept that. But I ain't going to accept that. (laughs) I don't like that. That doesn't fit with my plan. That doesn't fit with my plan of attack. That doesn't fit with my lifestyle. That doesn't really comply with the things that I've set out and I've molded for my life. And so we go through our lives picking and choosing from the Word of God what we're going to accept and what we're going to reject. And every time that we come to the Scripture, what we do is we parade the Word of God before the jury of our mind. And the jury decides, will I accept this or will I not? That's not a humble spirit. That's not a teachable spirit. You know, when the Word of God really began to open up for me was about four years ago, about the time that I began preaching the Scriptures on a, on a weekly basis when I became a pastor, really. I had been trained in, in, at, at Baylor for four years in theology and all of that, New Testament studies and all that stuff, had gone to the seminary, had a three-year degree from the seminary, had all the technical skills and all of the books, had a good library. I mean, everything that it takes, you would think, to understand the Word of God and to really welcome and receive the Word of God. But I never did. The Scripture never really fell open to me until I quit parading it before the jury of my mind. I always approached the Scripture the way that I did the law books in law school. Analytically. Analyzing this. Analyzing that. Does this fit with human reason? Can I figure this out? Does this jive with my intellect? And the Word of God never fell open until I was willing to say, Lord, it's your Word. It's bigger than I am. I just accept it without passing sentence on it. And when I did that, I began to be free in the scriptures. I began to really and truly be able to receive the scriptures and welcome the scriptures with joy. Eternal security of the believer was no longer any problem with me because I wasn't trying to figure it out. I would just simply say, just simply letting the word of God speak for itself that he says, he who began a good work in you is going to complete it. It's not dependent upon me. It's dependent upon the father. That not one of these will be plucked from my hand. Jesus said, these are my sheep. You can't take them out of my hand. I get a little bit excited about that because I used to question that. I really did. I used to struggle with that because I was constantly parading it before the jury of my mind and it didn't sound reasonable. The sovereignty of God is another area. Four years ago, I could have not preached to you on the sovereignty of God. And boy, I'm so excited about the sovereignty of God today. I can't already stand it because I constantly paraded the sovereignty of God before the jury of my mind that God elected me. I don't understand that, I said. Therefore, there's got to be another explanation. Surely it was me that chose Jesus, even though the scripture says you did not choose me, I chose you. But I was constantly parading it before the jury of my mind, saying, understand, analyze, cut it apart. And when I let go and just said, God, your word is bigger than I am, then the word of God began to open up and I began to be able to receive and welcome the word of God. Do you hear what I'm saying? that humble spirit that comes to the scripture and says, I'm not bigger than you, God. You're much bigger than I am. 
Your ways are not my ways. Your word is inspired. It is God-breathed. Not a human word in it. Therefore, it's not my place to pass judgment upon it. So there must be that purity of affections, put away filthiness and all the remains of wickedness. But there also must be that preparation of attitude. When you come to the scriptures, if you're going to receive, if you're going to welcome the word of God, then get on your knees and acknowledge that you are simply creature and he is creator. That you are not perfect, but his word is. His word is perfect in every word. It's perfect. And therefore, I must receive it and not pass it before the jury of my mind. Okay, third, and we're going to close with this. It's going to take us a while, but we're going to close with this. Third, there must be a plan of action. If you're to welcome the word, there must be a plan of action. Verses 22 through 25 are some of my favorite verses in the scripture. One of, some of the first verses I memorized, as a matter of fact, as a new Christian. I just happened to find these verses in, in the book of James and memorize verses 22 through 25 very early in my Christian walk. There must be a plan of action. James says in verse 22, but prove yourselves doers of the word, not merely hearers who deceive themselves. Boy, that's a heavy passage of scripture. Don't just be a hearer of the word, he says, but be a doer because a hearer of the word is deceiving himself. How terrible to be deceived. Nobody likes to be deceived, but how worse to be deceived by yourself. How much worse to lie and deceive yourself. You see, one who is a hearer of the word and not a doer, what he does is he lulls himself to sleep. He lulls himself to a false sense of security. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, Anyone who hears my words and does not do them is like a foolish man who built his house upon the sand. You see, he built his house on the sand thinking it was going to be secure, thinking it was going to stand, that that foundation was enough. But then Jesus says, but then the rains came, the storm rose up, and the winds bust against that house, and it wiped it out. And he says, the ruin of it was great. In other words, there wasn't a stick left. It got washed away. That man had deceived himself thinking that just hearing the word was enough and he was building his house upon the sand. Quite frankly, many of our problem is this. We've heard too many sermons. With many Christians, some of you go, amen to that. Many Christians have heard too many sermons. Some of you have heard hundreds of them, maybe even thousands of them. You may even have a notebook full of notes of sermons of some of the greatest preachers that ever preached. Some of you have been exposed to some great preachers, and you've heard hundreds, maybe thousands of sermons. You've got notebooks full of notes of sermons, but not one time was there ever really the intent of your heart to respond positively to the Word of God. Listening to sermons has kind of become like a hobby. You know, you just go and, and we just listen and then we walk out unchanged. And it just kind of flies over our head and hits the guy behind us who really needs it. <laughs> or the wife or the husband next to us who really needs to hear this message. And we've heard and we've heard and we've heard, but we've never really received or welcomed the word of God because there never was a plan and a purpose of action, as James said. Gosh, folks, let me, let me do this very quickly. 
uh, on this plan of action thing. Let me tell you three reasons why you need to plan to respond to the Word of God positively when you hear it. Listen, just hearing the Scripture is never going to do it. Quit parading it before the jury of your mind, but come to the Word of God with an intention that what God's Word says, I will do by the Spirit of God. And if you don't come with that kind of heart and that kind of mind, then you deceive yourselves, James says. He said, you're a hearer and not a doer of the Word, and you're lying to yourself. Come with an intention of doing the Word of God. We ought to come with the, to the Word of God with that kind of intention because of its discerning power. Because of the Scripture's discerning power. Listen, verse 23 through 24, read that with me again. We've still got five minutes. For if anyone is a hearer of the Word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks at his natural face in the mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. The analogy that James is drawing is between the Word of God and a mirror. What does a mirror do? A mirror reflects, doesn't it? You look into a mirror and you see your dirty face, whether you like it or not, but that mirror is an exact replica. I meant dirty, you know, really dirty, like you've got dirt. I didn't mean that, in a, you know, in a, in a cutting kind of way. But you look in the mirror and it tells you because it gives an exact reflection of your face if you've got dirt on your face. If you need to wash your, fur, your face, it gives a perfect reflection of what you look like. James uses that kind of analogy and applies it to the Word of God. He says the Word of God is like a mirror. It gives a perfect reflection of who you are. It discerns your character. It, it looks, it discloses your very heart. That's why some people won't touch the Scriptures. I've known people that flat would not read the Bible. They wouldn't let you quote the Bible to them. They didn't want to have anything do, to do with the Word of God because, see, the Word of God is like a mirror. And it reflects, it discerns. The writer of the Hebrews says the word of God is living and it's active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. And it pierces as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joint and marrow. And listen to this. And is able to judge the thoughts and the intents of man. That's the word of God. The mirror, it reflects when you look at it. It cuts deep. It looks beneath the surface and it says, here, this is what you look like. This is a reflection of who you are. James says if someone is only a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a guy that walks up to a mirror and says, sees that he needs a shave, but then he turns around and immediately forgot that he needed to shave, so he never shaves. And he turns around again and he looks and he says, yeah, I need to shave, and then he turns and he forgets, and he turns and he forgets, and he turns and he forgets. Living his life, turning and forgetting. That's what the hearer of the word is like who's not a doer. Second of all, we ought to respond positively to the Word of God with a plan of action, not only because of, of that, but because of its de delivering power. Because of its delivering power. In verse 25, James refers to the Word of God as the law of liberty. Did you hear that? The law of liberty. That means the Word of God, the law of God sets you free. Some folks say, well, I, don't, I, don't, I really don't want to abide by the scriptural plan, the pattern. I really don't want the Bible to be my guide for my life because I want to be free. It kind of cramps my style, if you will. James says that's not true. The exact opposite is true, that it is the law of liberty. Listen, if you think that obedience to the word of God brings bondage, the evil one has sold you a bill of goods and you've bought it hook, line, and sinker. Jesus said the truth shall make you free. 
You shall know the truth. And what's going to set you free? The truth is going to set you free. We ought to respond positively with a plan of action to the Word of God because of its discerning power. It looks into our very hearts in order that we might see who we are and become what God wants us to be, but also because of its delivering power. It sets us free. I'm free in Jesus Christ. I'm not, a bond. I'm not in bondage anymore. I'm free in grace. I'm free in obedience to the Word of God. And thirdly, because of its dispensing power. Verse 25, he says, But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but a effectual doer, this man shall be blessed in what he does. Because of his dispensing power, God dispenses blessing in direct proportion to your positive or negative response to the Word of God. Did you hear that? God blesses obedience to the Word. When you welcome the word, when you respond to the word in a positive way, God's blessings are promised. You know that every command of the scripture brings with it a promise of blessing, either explicitly or, what's that other word, implicitly. (laughs) It is either stated very clearly or it is implied in the command. Every command in the scripture brings with it a promise of blessing. God says that we are to give, but he always promises to provide. God says that we are to pray, but he always promises to hear and answer. God, pro- God says that we are to trust him, but he always says, I will be trustworthy. He says we are to go in his name, but he says, I will go with you. Every command of Scripture brings with it a promise of blessing upon the life of the believer. We ought to welcome the Word of God. How do you welcome the Word of God? You must first of all have a purity of affections. Your spiritual ears can get stopped up with the things that remain of the old life, the old grave clothes. Have a purity of affections, but also have a proper attitude. James says, receive the Word with humility. Stop parading the Scriptures before the jury of your mind. Crucify the mind and let the Spirit lead. That doesn't mean that you commit intellectual suicide. That's foolish. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about quit parading Scripture before the human reason. And because your reason can't put it together, don't reject it. And third, have a plan of action. Most of us don't need to know more. We just need to do more of what we know. We already know plenty. We just need to put into practice what we already know. You know, one of the greatest frustrations that I have, and I just this is free, I, this wasn't planned, one of the greatest frustrations I have as a pastor, and I talked to my wife about this today when we came home from church, the reason I had difficulty preaching that sermon this morning, I think, and I've really, I've looked into my heart, I think the reason that I had difficulty preaching that sermon is because sometimes I wish and I desire to just be a normal person and to be looked at as just being a normal person. And I wish that I had the opportunity to prove to you that I would practice the things I preach even if I didn't preach them. I don't have that opportunity. Many of you look at me and you say, well, James, it's okay for you to talk about that, what you talked about this morning or what you talked about tonight because you're supposed to do that. You're the preacher. You're the pastor. And one of the greatest frustrations of my life 
and probably one of the greatest frustrations I had about responding to the call of God on my life for ministry is that I wanted to be just a normal person, but be it for Jesus' sake. And not have people all the time looking at me and saying, well, you're supposed to be like that. You're supposed to talk like that. You're supposed to act like that. You're supposed to witness. You're supposed to do those things because you're the preacher. I'd give anything in my life to be able just to model it for you and not be the preacher. And that's, that's where James is at right here, folks. Welcoming the Word of God. I love, I love being your pastor. And God's called me to do that. But my great frustration is that I wish I could show you my love for the Scripture without being paid to study it all week long and to preach it on Sundays. I wish I could model it for you. I wish I had that opportunity to model my love for the Word of God, my commitment to the Scriptures and obedience to God, even if I wasn't the preacher. Now, that's the attitude that James is talking about. Now, I'm really no different than you are. Most of you will never accept that, but I'm really not. God's called me to preach, called you to do something else. Your call is just as valid as my call, just as real, just as God-oriented, comes from the same Father. We're both held accountable to the same God, the same standard. Most of you will never accept that, but I sure wish you would, and I sure wish I had an opportunity to model it for you and let you know that it's real, and it's not just something that's being preached. James says, welcome the Word of God. Quit parading it before the jury of your mind. Get into it and do it, and not just hear it. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your Word. God, I pray that you will add this Word to our hearts and our lives tonight. Make us doers of the word. Father, I pray that, that the body of Christ here, which is the Cornerstone Baptist Church, that you've planted here, that you have your hand upon, that you obviously have anointed and called for a very special purpose. I pray that this people would really and truly become a lighthouse in this community by being doers of the word and not just hearers. Father, we love you. We love your word. We thank you, Father, that we see your spirit from cover to cover in your word and that we can welcome your word, that we can desire your word, and that we can be obedient to your word and have the promise of blessing, have the promise of blessing from you. Father, we give this time to you now of invitation. It is yours. Uh, we praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.